When my Buddha asked me a few months ago, would I do a preach on the 18th of October? I was like, yeah, boy, no problem, because it's going to be a recording. And recording's easy, because you can record, it's not perfect, delete and go again. But I find myself up here today, with the knees buckling a little bit, and I think um, God's quite funny, because He's already stolen a few of my pieces of this preach, with my Buddha sharing about lockdown, a lighty getting, a, not so much a lighty, a person getting out of his comfort zone, coming to pray for me. It's all about this in the message this morning. But I've also missed this. I've missed doing life together as a family with mates. We often say we're just doing life together. We're doing church with mates. And that's exactly what it is here this morning. As my Buddha said, though, I'm sure a few of us have got some memories or flashbacks of lockdown in April. And um, for some of you, it might have been cooking, might have been cleaning, might have been baking those banana loaves. Or the garden track from running those banana loaves off in your backyard. <laughs> when I ask my wife what her first thought is, it's bread. My goodness, my wife experiments in making bread, which was a massive problem. But uh, the favorite one was the Kitka bread, which is that Jewish loaf that's plaited like a lady's hair plait. And I won't say that my wife and I could polish one of those off together. It was proper Kitka bread. But I remember two things quite clearly during lockdown. The first one was the never-ending, all-consuming list of my wife's that never stopped, never got shorter. It was list after list after list. I even went to the extent of trying to break the garden saw, thinking it would relieve me of my garden chores. What did my wife do? Knock, knock on the neighbor's wall, garden saw over. So that even didn't uh, give me some relief. The other thing I remember quite clearly is reading Bible stories to the kids. We had a little bit of extra time. And we started reading Bible stories to the kids. And these stories just became alive. I don't know if it's because it's written for me in grade one language, but it started standing out to me. And I started getting so encouraged by these stories. And I'm like, is that really real? Did God really use his hand and write on the wall? It's incredible. And this morning, I just want to share something that stood out to me. But before we get into the message, if I had to ask you to name the 12 disciples... Would you be able to name the 12 disciples? I know all of you would shout Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those weren't the disciples, by the way. But <laughs> So this morning, we're going to try to get this right. And we're going to just learn a little bit about the disciples. 12 disciples. So let's see if we can get this right. We've got James, John, Andrew, and Peter. We've got Matthew. We've got another James. We've got Philip. We've got Bartholomew. Thomas. Judas, Simon, and Judas Iscariot. Now, I want to give us a little bit of general knowledge about these disciples, and my general knowledge is not that good, so I had to go and dig into it a little bit, which was good, made me read, and uh, my sister-in-law is amazing with this, so she helped me a lot as well. But the first four disciples I mentioned were all fishermen. I guess probably part of the same fishing company, or they were fishing partners. So that was James and John, Peter and Andrew. Quite cool, James and John were brothers, and Peter and Andrew were brothers. And Andrew was the first disciple who was called. He was originally a disciple of John the Baptist, and he left fishing and told his brother Peter, or Simon Peter, about Jesus. And we're going to come to that name just now, Peter, Simon Peter. So Andrew's brother, Simon Peter, is the Peter we've been chatting about over the last few weeks, how this Peter has just... Um, influenced us and spoken to us, and this is the same Peter that denied Jesus, the same Peter that walked on water, 
same Peter that cuts off Malchus's ear in that special meeting we heard about last week. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a proper message. The second set of brothers was James and John. They were the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. They were fixing their nets when Jesus called them. And um, they were also very part of Jesus in a circle, and they played a very important role in the church. John, he's known as the, the disciple whom Jesus loved and was one of the early leaders of the church, who, interesting, also wrote John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So that was John. So these guys were fishermen. I mean, can you picture a fisherman? Hardcore oak, not this rich oak on the back of his yacht with a flower or something. They were hardcore oaks. They were fishermen. They were net throwers. They were probably getting their hands tangled with hooks. These guys were proper. And I could picture them something like this. If these are the fishermen that I'm thinking about, these were like oaks working in Alaska in the cold conditions, trying to just make things happen. They were hardcore fishermen. Then there was another disciple, Matthew. We all know Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, what would a tax collector look like? I think in today's modern age, he's slick. He's probably got a suit and tie on. Maybe something like this. This could be the tax collector. He was very different from the fisherman. Maybe still rough, but maybe in a totally different way to the fisherman. In fact, at that time, tax collectors were seen as thieves because they um, took taxes for their personal gain. So Matt wasn't a digged okay. Matthew organized a banquet for Jesus and said, come for dinner. I'm going to invite some other tax collectors and other sinners. Pull in and come have some dinner with us. Pharisees didn't like this at all. As you can imagine, they were thinking, what? But can you imagine these five men together? Four fishermen and a tax collector. It kind of makes me think of a group that I cycle with. Not fishermen and tax collectors, but my goodness, we've got all sorts. eh? I mean, we've got a car salesman. We've got an insurance advisor. We've got a pilot. We've got a lawyer. We've got a pastor. We've got a business owner. We've got a banker. We've got a builder. Yeah, these four, I'd kind of put those four fishermen and a tax collector together. That's how we ride bikes, but... We write bikes. It's quite cool. It doesn't matter what you are. Moving on. What about Simon the Zealot? Simon the Zealot. What is a zealot? And my friend Google came to help me really nicely again. And this is what Wikipedia says. The zealots were an aggressive group whose concern for the religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise even Jews who sought peace with the Roman authorities. So let me give it to you in my basic terms. Simon was a fighter. He wasn't afraid to be aggressive for his belief. He was prepared to fight the Romans for what he believed in. The kid's Bible stood out to me, puts it so easy. It says he was mostly interested in fighting a war against the Romans. But Jesus picks Simon, the zealot. Then we know about Judas Iscariot. He was the treasurer, but he was also a thief. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. We also learned about that last week in that special meeting that... Godhead with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Philip, he was also originally a disciple of John the Baptist. Bartholomew, he was the one that Jesus saw under the fig tree. And Thomas was also known as Doubting Thomas. I remember reading in the kids' Bible there that the disciples were huddled in a room uh, when Jesus had um, risen from the dead. And Jesus appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was out the room. And the guys are like, Thomas, Thomas, we saw Jesus. He came and... He says, I'm not even going to believe you, Oaks, until I can take my fingers and put them through the wounds of his hands. So that was doubting Thomas. We had James, the son of Alphaeus, who was also known much, we don't know much about him. 
Um, and then there was the other Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas. But you know what? We might not have known much about all these other disciples, but they all had one thing in common. They saw Jesus' miracles. They saw how Jesus witnessed to everyone. And they were all empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they all led the church in the earlier times. So we gave a group of fishermen, a tax collector, a fighter, a betrayer, a doubter, all different. All from different walks of life, all from different jobs, all from different situations. They all chose to follow Jesus when asked. And what's interesting is they didn't even hesitate to follow Jesus. They just did. So I've only got two points this morning, literally. I'm not turning my back to anyone. It's just to help a little bit here. So my first point, don't hesitate. They just followed Jesus. Don't doubt yourself. Don't worry about what path you've come from, where you're going, what you're doing. Have I got enough? Is there enough? Don't doubt yourself. Just follow Jesus. I've got that slogan of that tick in front of me. Just do it. Just do it. Don't even hesitate. God chose many different men for many different walks of life. Some were poor, some were rich. Some were educated, some were uneducated. Background doesn't matter. doesn't matter what we do or what we have done. God chooses us. He asks us, will we follow him? Will we choose him? Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Just to give you an illustration. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So don't hesitate. Immediately they just left. The kids' Bible there, can you imagine just fishing with your dad in a boat? Jesus comes and says, follow me. Just dad, we're out of here. We're going to follow. It's crazy, man. They just did it. Don't hesitate. Matthew 9, 9 from the message. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Not how much money am I going to lose? How much of this? Am I okay? Am I worthy? He just got up and followed Jesus. Don't hesitate. Just follow Jesus. I think a lot of us maybe ask the question, is it going to work out? I had a friend many years ago who I was trying to influence his life a bit. And he's like, yeah, but then I've got to stop this, that. I've got to tithe. I've got to. I said, but you don't have to do any of that. Good. Little did I want to tell him that just down the line, you're going to want to not do that because you've formed this beautiful relationship with Jesus. Brilliant. So point number one, don't hesitate. My second point, each of these men were different. We've spoken about that quite a bit. This morning, different personalities, the upbringing, the backgrounds, the education, everything. Some were rough, others might have been more refined. Yet each and sing, every single one of them was chosen by God. He doesn't, doesn't need us all to be fishermen yeah. or taxmen. He just wants you as you. Do you know that every single living person created has their own fingerprint? We've heard that so many times. But then when you quickly go Google how many people in the world, there's roughly 7.8 billion people in the world. I'm not even going to try to write that. But each of us have got a unique fingerprint. Isn't that interesting that 
God wasn't showing off by doing that. But he used everyone that's kind of same, but different. It's incredible. Yeah. I love the way the message paraphrases Romans 12, 4 to 6. It says, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. You see, God created you. God created you. Created you. Chose you. Chose you, ma'am. Chose you, sir. Chose you, my little guy. God chose you. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Romans puts it in this context. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach them well. It's pretty relevant being in the school hall. If you're a teacher, teach them well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's to give, give generously. If God has given you leadership abilities, take them responsibly. And if you're a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So even though there were four fishermen in the group of disciples, they were all unique. We heard about James and John being known as the sons of thunder. I picture them as extroverts, loud, brash. I've got a family member that's kind of like that, but just <laughs> loud, brash out there. Peter, this is cool, was originally named Simon. Simon was a common name, which meant reed. But how cool is this? Jesus renamed him to a less common name, Peter, which means rock. And it's been so amazing to learn about this chap Peter over the last few weeks. But Jesus was speaking into his life that a man once easily swayed by others like a reed in the wind would become a rock of the Christian faith. Again, a man of his own personality, no less important than anyone else, but God just gave him this opportunity to become a rock to others. So why? That's the question this morning. Why God chose you and me? What goodness or merit did I or you do that entitled God to choose us? And I hope my answer is not going to disappoint us today, but there was absolutely no merit or goodness that caused God to choose you or me. You see, you and I are both sinners. We aren't perfect. And we've all fallen short. And in spite of our best intentions and high opinion we hold of ourselves, God's choosing had nothing to do with our merit. Amen. I picture those fishermen. James, how far can you throw? Peter, how far can you throw? I'll take the, it had nothing to do with yeah. performance. Yeah. God just chose you. So why did God choose you? Because he loves you. Just let that sink in for a little bit. He loves you. He loves you. Let that stand out to you. The Lord loves you and chose you. He chooses the differences, and we've all got different personalities. There's someone in this room that's got a totally different gifting to what I've got, but we're all using this to work together for God's glory. Sometimes, I'll never forget, years ago, there was a girl in a life group. We were talking a similar debate to this, and she was like, yeah, but I don't really make an impact for God's kingdom. I don't really do anything, and I was actually blown away because I knew 
of all the seeds that this girl had planted. And I sat there and I thought, my goodness, you have influenced so many people's lives just by planting that seed in others. That that is such a massive impact that you have played. So if it's your gift to plant a seed, plant it well. If it's your gift to cultivate, cultivate that seed well. If it's your gift to harvest, harvest that seed well. John 4, 37. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. The message writes it like this. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is in arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. Now that's the truth of the saying. This one sows, that one harvests. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. So if you think sowing a seed is not important and that's not making a massive impact, from this message above, my opinion is actually sowing a seed is more important than harvesting that seed and cultivating that seed and looking after it and pruning it and watering it until the farmer comes in who hasn't lifted a hand to that field harvests. But we've all got our part to play. That's the point that I'm making. He's a plan and purpose for your life. And yes, part of that is he wants to smooth out the rough edges just like he was doing with Peter. And there's some lessons that we're going to have to learn and some changes we're going to make. But don't doubt that he loves you and he loves you and he's chosen you and there's a massive, massive plan for you. In Jesus' name.